today on Grace to the Hearers with Pastor Eric Kluth. This lady was all over the place. She was saying, praise God, bless the Lord, dedicated this to the Lord. But then she's all over than saying that I made carved images and molded images. She was spiritually confused. But when it comes to spiritual matters, all you need to remember is that it's just Jesus. Jesus. Jesus alone is all you need. He will satisfy you. And when it comes to physical matters, you don't need the buffet. Spiritual confusion is something that we all face at times. Today, Pastor Eric helps us boil things down to find the source of spiritual confusion. Generally, spiritual confusion comes when we combine anything with Jesus. When we try to incorporate other things into our walk instead of simply focusing on Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Eric for today's study. Last week, you guys, we concluded with the life of Samson. And Samson was one of 13 judges that judged Israel during a, a time span of 300 to 400 years. Okay, uh, a time period uh, that took Israel from the leadership of Joshua all the way to the, the leadership of King Saul. Okay, so that time frame of three to 400 years is this time frame uh, of the book of Judges. And like I mentioned, there was 13 judges chosen by God to correct and to deliver the children of Israel. Because why do they need correction? Well, as you might have remembered, oftentimes in our text, what is one of the, one of the things that we kept on reading? Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Constantly going over that and they were falling into their own desires. And tonight we will see that they, in fact, were doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, have you guys ever done what was right in your eyes? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So we can understand where these guys were at then. The judges were temporary leaders. And a good reminder for us during this period it wasn't good for Israel. It wasn't a good time for them. Uh, again, they had uh, 13 revivals, uh, 13 periods of captivity. Uh, the revivals were good. The captivity, not so good. Then 13 periods of deliverance, which was good. So it was like a roller coaster, up and down. But in overall, these 300 to 400 years was a sad, sad time for the children of Israel. It was not good at all. And tonight we are going to start chapter 17, and it actually starts our decline out of the book of Judges. And in these chapters, you guys, it's not in chronological order, in a sense. You're like, well, we just learned about Samson. Well, now these chapters, 17 through 21, is kind of like a, a perspective like if you were a fly on the wall. Have you guys ever said that before? Like, man, I wish I was a fly on the wall just so I can understand what was going on in those times. Well, these chapters really give us a perspective of really the, the moral standing of Israel and to see how out of whack they were and how they did rely on themselves versus the Lord. And so we will see that in the, these next coming chapters, 17 through 21. And in a sense, this is an uh, appendix of the book of Judges. And it's not, again, not in chronological order. Samson was the end of the chronological history uh, of, you know, going in order of the Judges. But these chapters uh, are going to give you a perspective of the moral decay. Moral decay. Doesn't that just sound terrible? Moral decay. Anything with decay in it doesn't sound good. 
of Israel during this period. So tonight, though, in chapter 17, in these 13 verses, we're going to see that man wants to do what is right in their own eyes. And then we're also going to be looking at three different characters, a mother, a son, and a Levite. Sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? (laughs) But I pray, seriously, I pray that our hearts are open unto the Lord and that the Holy Spirit would teach us and that we would come away with something that we could know more about our Lord and Savior and that we can continue to be more like Christ. All right, so we're going to read the 13 verses because as I explain it, we're going to be kind of all over the place in the text. So we're just going to read verses 1 through 13 and then come through it. So here we go. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, Oh, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and a household of idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah. Of the family of Judah, he was a Levite. And he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. In verse 10, Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Verse 12, so Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man because the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. In verse 13, then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Wow. Okay, so we're going to look at our first character in this story because there is three characters, right? Did you notice it? There's a mother, there's a son, and there's a Levite, just like I said in the beginning, right? And so here we're going to look at the mother in verses 1 through 4. Now she was a wealthy person. Well, why can I say she's a wealthy person? 1,100 shekels of silver is a lot of money, okay? Uh, In fact, if you remember our study of last time, Deborah was offered that much per person, uh, and that was enough usually to last uh, uh, at least a year's worth of wage. And if all of the priests would have paid up to Deborah, it would have been a lifetime worth of money for her. So 1,100 shekels of silver is a lot of money. Now, this money came up missing, Now, if you lost a large sum of money, would you not be asking, where is the money? 
Where is the money? Well, this lady went to the, to the extreme of saying, I'm going to put a curse on it. Whoever took this money, I'm putting a curse on them. And she even spoke it into her son's ears. Interesting, huh? Like grabbing his head. If you took my 1,100 shekels of silver, I put a curse on you. And here the son came up and said, hey, you know that 1,100 shekels of silver? I took it. So here it is back to you, okay? And, and, and so she was, uh, she was highly concerned about this money missing, and her son confessed taking the money. But then did you notice that she renounced the curse and turned the curse into what? A blessing. In verse 2 it says, And the mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord my son. She probably you know, took that curse back. She's like, that's my own flesh and blood there. But then she took 200 shekels of the silver and she did what with it? She, she gave it to a silversmith who then turned it into a molded image or, and a carved image, okay? And so like, as I was reading this, I was like, man, this lady, you know, she's for the Lord because she said in verse three, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son, I was like, yes, awesome. And then I read past the comma to make a carved image and a molded image. What? That makes no sense. Why was she doing that? Well, God gave us a great commentary, didn't he? In verse 6, because what does verse 6 say, church? It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this lady was doing what was right in her own eyes. She dedicated to the Lord, but she's like, hey, I'm going to do something that I think is right. I'm going to make a molded image here. Now, it doesn't say what the molded image was, but some commentaries say that it was an image of what she portrayed as God, what God would look like. Interesting, right? Interesting, very interesting. So it seems that she honored the Lord, but yet she pulls in carved images into the scene. Very, very confusing on what this lady was doing. And, and, and what a scary point to be in. What a scary point to be in is that point of doing what is right in your own eyes. Why do you think that's scary? Well, because in a sense, you're calling the shots. You're not relying on God. It's a scary, scary point to be in. And this idea of doing what is right in your own eyes is still an idea that people think of today. They think that they need to make the decisions. They think that they are the ones calling the shots and they're doing what is right in their own eyes. But we know in the Bible, and I've said it many times, the heart of man is desperately wicked, okay? And so when we get this brilliant idea that we are doing what is right in our own eyes, more than likely I would say I am pretty confident to say it's wrong. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but that's where I think. That's what I think. Anyways, this lady was spiritually confused. You know, I believe that we live in a time right now when it comes to spirituality that we live in a buffet period. A buffet period. You guys know what a buffet is? Yeah, I like them too. Well, here you go. A buffet. Now, in this buffet picture, there is prime rib, crab, I think I saw crab in there, corn, chicken, Shrimp, sushi. I don't think there's sushi in there. Okay, okay, we're not going to name the food because then you guys are going to be hungry. Okay, well, 
we have uh, we have a f- we have a five gallon of water in the cafe. It's time to fast. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, you go to a buffet. Why do you go to a buffet? You go because you want a variety of food. Like you can't make up your mind on what to eat, and so you're like, oh, let's go to a buffet. There's a lot of things to choose from there. Yeah, great idea. And we can stuff our faces, you know, for, you know, 10 bucks. You go to a buffet, again, like I said, because you cannot set yourself on one style of food and you want to dabble in a lot of different foods, okay? So that's how our flesh often wants to look at our relationship with God. Our flesh, our natural sinful nature is that we want to dabble around in the things that make us feel good. Okay, And so if you can imagine spirituality as a buffet, right? we want to partake in a little bit of this. Oh, that sounds good to me, so I'll have a little bit of that, a little bit of good works. You know? uh, I'll have a little bit of you know, being a monk, being silent, and off in my own land. I like that idea. And so we can easily get in this idea of where I just want a little bit of everything on my plate. Okay, does that make sense? It makes sense in my mind, but uh, we justify our other portions because we still have God on the plate. We want more things on our plate, and we're like, it's okay, I still got God on here. It's just a little bit more added onto my plate uh, because I, I, I'm just not, I'm just looking for more. And a lot of you are shaking your head like, no, that's not right. Well, going back to the buffet idea of food, it is exciting to go to a buffet. I mean, am, am, right? To go to Golden Corral or something like that? Not my favorite, but, you know, like if it was a Chinese buffet, I'm pumped, you know? <laughs> if that's the only amen I get tonight, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but it seems to me that every time that I leave a, a, a buffet, I seem to leave there in misery. My stomach is hurting. I'm like, oh, I'm so, I so ate too much. I shouldn't have combined that food with this food because it doesn't go hand in hand. I'm hurting. And I leave, I leave the buffet with a heartburn filled with nausea. Why? Because I took too much in. I took too much in. Versus staying to one idea of food. Well, the same idea applies to our relationship with Jesus. We often think that we need more than Jesus, unless uh, that's what a lot of the world is saying. You need more than just Jesus. Jesus is a good guy, but you can need this with it as well. You need this book to read as well, this book, or, you know, and this show. And I'm not saying books are bad, but the whole idea is that we often think and we're told that we need more than just Jesus. But I'm telling you, that idea is wrong. You just need Jesus. Jesus himself said, you guys, in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Man, Jesus said it pretty simply, didn't he? If you come to me, you will never hunger. Meaning that I'm going to fulfill every crack of desire inside of your soul and you will never hunger again. 
And every thirst, every longing for thirst of something else, Jesus is saying, come to me and I will, I will fulfill that thirst, that desire for thirst, because I am all that you need. And Jesus is telling us simply that he satisfies. Jesus satisfies. If we truly look to him and truly come to him, he will satisfy you. So then the question that I ask to you all is, are you stuffed? in misery with all the do's and don'ts of man and religion. Sometimes I am. All the do's and don'ts, the things that man throws into the whole church scene. Well, if you're tired of all the do's and don'ts and all this buffet thinking that you need to add this in, you need to do that, you don't need to do this, all this stuff going onto your plate, I just say, give me Jesus, man. Give me the plate of Jesus Christ, you know? And that will satisfy you because then you can truly feast on Jesus. Now, many of you might be thinking like this guy, right? He's like, oh, gross, man. You got to eat Jesus, right? That's disgusting. That's not right. Well, you sound like the Jews then because they said in John 6, uh, 52, The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were quarreling with each other. Like, how can this guy tell us to eat his flesh? I don't get that. But Jesus was trying to get them to consume in their minds that he is all that they needed. Because Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 53, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. So if you don't partake in Jesus, Jesus alone, you will not have life. You're going to starve. And you think that you're getting filled up on all that stuff, but in a sense, it's just making you fat, you know? And it's not going to give you life. It's going to lead you to death. Uh, But Jesus is the healthy choice, and he will give you life. Amen. So when it comes to spiritual matters, you guys, this lady was all over the place. She was saying, praise God, bless the Lord, dedicated this to the Lord. But then she's all over the saying that I made carved images and molded images. She was spiritually confused. But when it comes to spiritual matters, all you need to remember is that it's just Jesus. Jesus. Jesus alone is all you need. He will satisfy you. And when it comes to physical matters, you don't need the buffet. <laughs> That's funny to me, but. Okay, now we look at the mother. She was spiritually confused. Now let's look at this guy named Micah. Okay, Micah, you guys, was a young man in the beginning. Okay, because it was, uh, the Bible says that he was a young man, right? And so he took the, the silver, so he was a thief, right? Then as he got older, he became a guy who had a house, who had a shrine, of carved and molded images. He was fascinated with the idea of religion. Uh, I would say he was a church fan, okay? He was a fan of church uh, because he had an ephod and he had one of his sons that he consecrated as his own priest. A little weird. And then uh, he wanted the blessing of God for personal gain, as we learned there over in verse 13 when he says, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. He was looking for God to give him that personal gain. And many people, again, you guys, fall in this category that are like Micah as well. They are fans of God and church. 
they're cheering on the idea of church versus the relationship part of having a relationship with Jesus. They're more of a fan of the organization of the church versus having that personal relationship with Christ. And in fact, you guys, I truly believe that God and church can become a brand to a person. You know, and this is something serious because I had to be corrected by this by the Lord. Because when I was coming up and as the Lord was calling me to pastor, I came into the Calvary Chapel movement and the dove, man, the dove was everywhere. And I was all about the dove, man. I have the hat. I've got it on my car. I've got it. I don't have a tattoo of it, so don't worry about that. But I was, I was like, man, it is all, man, the dove, Calvary Chapel, woo, woo, you know. But God corrected me and said, whoa, it's not a brand, this is a relationship, son. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about the brand. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about this church or that church. It's about Jesus, you guys. And I was there one time. I was there and easily. And so like, we've got to check our hearts to make sure that we're just not falling into this brand idea of church. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it needs to be focused on God and doing his ways and following him. It's not a brand name. It's not like Nike, okay? This is the living God. <laughs> we need to follow him because God does not desire you to be a fan. Well, what is a fan, you guys? I think in the sports world, a fan is one who is rooting on their team, right? They have the hats on, they have the clothes on, they have the games on, they're recording it, they're, they're, they're screaming out, yeah, go, I'm your number one fan, right? I love you. A fan is one who supports the team, going to games, watching games, fully devoted. But there is a big difference, church, of being a fan and actually being a part of the team, Okay? As much as you think that you're a fan, your team has no clue of who you are. They don't know who you are. They're a team. A fan is really not part of the team. Okay? And many fans fall in this delusion that they are part of the team. But they're not. Seriously, you guys, seriously. I mean, like, they fall into this idea that they are a part of the team. And they are not a part of the team. There is a difference between a fan and being part of the team. And Micah fell into this idea that he was following God, you guys, because he's like, here, come into my house. I have a shrine. Like, this is all my shrine uh, of, to God. You know, I have all these images. I have an ephod. Check out my ephod, man. I, I have an ephod. But the point being is, is that he was missing the point. The point was to be serving God, worshiping God, not worshiping the shrine. And, and, and he, he was a fan of this church idea. I mean, to the point of, of, of consecrating his own son, like, I'm such a fan of church and of God, you're going to be my priest in my house. I mean, this guy was crazy, in my opinion, okay? He was, he was not firing on all these cylinders, and so often we can collect all the right pieces, but understand that you're not, by gathering those pieces, you're not really truly on the team. Does that make sense? God desires us to be with him on the team. He wants you to be on the team, not a fan of the team. He wants you on the team. 
Pastor Eric will continue teaching through the book of Judges the next time you join us. As you've been listening today, perhaps some questions have come to mind. If so, we'd like to help. Just email your questions, comments, or prayer requests to info at gracetothehearers.com. That's info at gracetothehearers.com. We'll be sure to prayerfully respond because it's our desire to help you on your journey as you're seeking to walk with Jesus. You can also post your comments or questions to our Facebook page. Just search on Facebook for Grace to the Hearers Radio and join the conversation. If you can't find a church near you that's teaching through the Bible verse by verse, please let us know. We may be able to help you connect with a Bible study in your area and we'll certainly add you and your community to our prayer list as it's our desire to see God's Word being simply and systematically taught in every community. Again, you can contact us by email at info at gracetothehearers.com or give us a call at 520-723-7047. That's 520-720-7047. And please don't worry if you haven't been able to write this information down. All this information and more is available at our website, gracetothehearers.com. That's gracetothehearers.com. Log on to get to know us better. Join us next time as Pastor Eric continues to proclaim grace to the hearers from the book of Judges. That's next time on Grace to the Hearers. 